Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the show before the show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball as uh, we're kicking off another week in the chase toward minor league opening day coming up uh, two months, less than two months away now as the calendar goes as the, that's like the date version of as the crow flies. Uh, my name is Tyler Mon alongside Sam Dykstra and Benjamin Hill in a figurative sense. Uh, you two aren't even alongside each other today. You're in separate locations. Hey dudes. Hello, this is uh, Ben Hill talking, speaking first uh, in front of Sam Dykstra. Uh, yeah, I'm in the office today. Sam Dykstra is in uh, an undisclosed location and um, here we are sharing time together, whether it's side by side or remotely, I feel spiritually connected. <laughs> spiritually, technologically, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's the beauty of technology that allows us to do this show every week and allows me to do this in my pajama pants if I so choose. Are you really wearing pajama pants? Because uh, I, I was gonna I'm not going to show you them on camera because you know we don't need to go through that experience. That'd be but creepy. Yes, but take my word for it. Yes, I'm wearing pajama pants. Hmm. Okay, this is a it's a new way to start this show. <laughs> so I'm bringing a certain relaxed energy this week. That's all. That's what I'm trying to do. You know, does everybody get comfortable, settle in, and another. Uh, we'll- We'll take you through minor league baseball for the next 45 minutes to an hour. It's another rough week for that guy who said we go too long without talking baseball and gave us a one-star review on Apple Podcasts. Now we're talking pajama pants. Uh, well, let's dive into this week's episode of the show before the show. Big thanks to all of you for joining us, as always, as we get closer to the start of minor league spring training and opening day, uh, neither of which will be affected by the MLB lockout, which is something that uh, I know we've touched on before, but I saw a, a groundswell, a gathering storm of minor league teams on social media being like, hey, we're going to start on time here. Um, so it's just something that I feel like we should probably continue pointing out as uh, February gets deeper and we get closer and closer to prospects heading to Arizona and Florida to get ready for this 2022 campaign. Uh, and when they get there, uh, some teams will be sporting some fun new identities. we got a great conversation coming up uh, with the Greenville Drive here in just a little while. Uh, and before we get to all of that, we've got some new food alternate identities that we're going to kick off this week's episode of the show before the show with. Uh, the Peoria Chiefs are going to be known as the Pork Tenderloins as a uh, an alternate identity this year. And the Akron Rubber Ducks have a much more unique one that I had never heard of before. They'll be known as the Akron Jojos, which evidently is a, is a seasoned potato slice type of thing. Don't call them fries, I guess. Uh, ben, give us a lowdown on the Jojos and the pork tenderloins uh, and the larger food uh, team trend at large, the larger thing at large. Yeah, well, the pork tenderloin might be uh, the well, not might be, definitely is the better known uh, food item between a pork tenderloin and a JoJo. It's popular 
uh, throughout the Midwest, those sandwiches. It is, uh, you know, a breaded pork sandwich, and uh, I'm sure a lot of listeners are familiar with them, where the pork cutlet, if you will, is what two times three times as big as the bun so it's very outlandishly sized my dad and i visited iowa this year we went to a a quad cities to remain game we stopped at a few you know old timey down home iowa restaurants yeah the pork tenderloin is like they get a bun and then a pork tenderloin that is 19 times the size it's the old mitch hedberg bit like when you order a sandwich in a new york deli like do you need anything else yeah some more bread and some other people like that's the same (laughs) thing with the pork tenderloin yeah, you can't just pick it up and start biting into it. And uh, I'm pretty sure that it was on my own road trips when I first started out uh, doing that, visiting ballparks where I first came across uh, pork tenderloins because growing up in the Northeast, I did not see it. I remember, I believe the Burlington Bees had one. Uh, Cedar Rapids Colonels definitely had a pork tenderloin loin sandwich on the menu. Um, trying to remember where else I saw it. I know there was at least Quad Cities. Quad Cities River Bandits had one uh, when I visited. Uh, Peoria did not when I visited, and I'm not sure if it's a regular thing on the menu, but they are definitely in uh, pork tenderloin country, and um, we'll have to check in with the team. If they're selling them throughout the season this year, they'll definitely have them on uh, tenderloins night and that theme jersey. You, know, you can go online and check it out, of course, through the Peoria Chiefs website or their Twitter account. That jersey, of course, shows this sandwich protruding massively from the bun on both sides. And um, yeah, I know a lot of people in the Midwest have opinions on pork tenderloin, tenderloins, where to get the best ones. Uh, when I wrote my Fort Wayne Tin Caps ballpark guide, um, I was talking to the broadcaster, John Nolan, the team's broadcaster, and he said, um, you know, you might want to recommend this place in, I believe, Huntington, Indiana, which was the home of the pork tenderloin. And there is, a, I believe, a pork tenderloin trail, which has been uh, visited and completed by friend of the podcast, Scott Saylor of the Iowa Cubs, Des Moines, Iowa, also being in pork tenderloin territory. So pork tenderloins, both the sandwich itself and the region in which they're popular cover a wide swath. Tyler, as you mentioned, Akron JoJo's is a very, very regionally specific thing that I think I speak for all three of us. We had never heard of an Akron JoJo until the team announced they would be suiting up as the JoJo's on July 28th and 29th. Um, you know, the story, as I understand it, is that um, you know something like 60 years ago, a uh, business run by two Lebanese immigrants they had a pizza and chicken business, but they developed this uh, pot- seasoned potato wedge side. Um, that they called the Jojo. And now all throughout Akron and that larger Akron area, that's just a common thing. Like, you know, Ooh, it's Friday night. Let's get pizza and Jojo's. Um, and I jokingly tagged LeBron James in my tweet about the Jojo's seeing if he wanted to weigh in, he ignored me, unfortunately, but someone did Rude. reply with a snapshot of uh, LeBron James Instagram story where he was like, you know, here's my meal tonight, salmon burger, glass of rosé, and JoJo's. No way! He's like, it's an Akron thing, you know, like, what or whatever he said, something along those lines. So, please That's know amazing. LeBron James is very familiar with JoJo's. LeBron is pro-JoJo. Yeah, he's pro-JoJo, and That's uh, amazing. he's come alongside salmon burgers and rosé. <laughs> and also, Ben, you pointed this out on Twitter, and, and Tyler, I know you'll enjoy this, but just the, the look of the logo is like the closest we've ever gotten to a Conan O'Brien night. In oh, that baseball. is true. 
That is true. Like they they put a little dollop of ketchup, but it's not for the hair at the it's top a, of the JoJo. It's a big but red it, pompadour, as Conan would describe his his luscious red locks. Yeah, I mean it looks designed straight out of that or like big boy restaurants, that type of right. the hairdo. It does um, look a lot like the old cartoony, which are actually based on Conan's own doodles, but the old cartoony look uh of all of the graphics on late night with Conan O'Brien, the the rubber ducks JoJo's logo has very much the same feel as the old sketch of Conan that Conan would actually do. Yeah, and what's right. more Irish than A, Conan O'Brien, and B, a potato? So. <laughs> Seasoned potatoes. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Akron, Ohio. I was going to say, no, no, we don't. Massachusetts isn't giving up Conan O'Brien that easily. <laughs> Pretty good stuff from the JoJo's. Uh, now I need to go just wolf down some, some fried potatoes of some kind. Uh, we're, we're going to have to discuss this further. We may have to reach out to Akron to be like, okay, how, how do you just differentiate these from, you know, fries? Yeah, um, I do want, I, I, we were talking about this before we went on air, so to speak. And, um, Jojo's is the kind of regional food identity I like, um, because it's something that until a minor league team does it, almost no one has heard of it. And yeah. those are always my favorites. Those are the best. You're just kind of like, what? You know, like Omaha Runzas. That was one where I was like, I've never heard of a Runza before. I like the ones that really educate about American culture and history through food. Not to sound pretentious about it, but it's true. It is very cool. Um, and uh, we continue our journey through the world of minor league baseball with more ballpark guides that are up on the site uh, right now at MLB.com and at MILB.com slash fan slash ballpark dash guide. Uh, ben, your latest. I've got uh, Spokane's Avista Stadium headed up to the site today. We're recording this on Thursday, the 10th of February. Uh, Josh Jackson recently had the Portland, Maine Sea Dogs. Uh, what, uh, what about you, Ben? Yeah, well, I've had uh, two spots in Florida appear recently. The Daytona Tortugas, you know, play Jackie Robinson ballpark. Uh, you know, we certainly talked about that story on the podcast before, but one, that ballpark is the oldest in all of minor league baseball. It opened initially in 1914, you know, just as a playing field and some bleachers, but the playing field today is essentially in the same location as this place that opened in 1914 on city Island, which like Harrisburg, which plays on its own city Island is an actual Island. Um, Daytona is essentially split in two or not in two, but there's a little nether section of Daytona on the other side of the Halifax river. So the, the team plays on an Island in the Halifax river, uh, right near downtown Daytona. And of course it is called Jackie Robinson ballpark because in 1946, the, uh, Montreal Royals, Jackie Robinson's minor league team, the affiliate of the Brooklyn Dodgers, spent spring training there. And that story is even covered, you know, in part in the movie 42. Uh, the reason they ended up in Daytona Beach was because other towns, including Sanford, Florida, uh, would deny the Montreal Royals uh, the opportunity to play because of segregation laws. And it wasn't just uh, Jackie Robinson who was at spring training that year, but a pitcher by the name of John Wright. Um, so they ended up in Daytona Beach and uh, in 1990, uh, you know, 40, what was that, 44 years after uh, Jackie Robinson had spring training there, they renamed the ballpark Jackie Robinson Ballpark. And I said this before, but, you know, it's the oldest ballpark in the minor leagues. It's on an island. Um, it's a classic in every word and truly in my top five ballparks of uh, any minor league ballpark. And then from there, I went to Jacksonville, uh, totally different situation. That team's triple A. 
uh, as of 2021, the jumbo shrimp, but that ballpark was built for essentially AAA specifications. I think that the franchise always had thoughts that they wanted to be in AAA. And uh, I learned about Jacksonville. I did not know this. It's the largest city in the country by landmass, and it has the largest public park system um, in, in the entire country, um, which I guess makes somewhat sense if you have the most land. Um, but there's a lot to explore in Jacksonville, and uh, it's now called One Two One Financial Ballpark. Does not uh, roll off the tongue as much as the Baseball Grounds of Jacksonville, which is what it called when it when it, what it was called when it opened. Um, but that's another great ballpark to visit. Um, looming over right field is, and I forget the corporate name of that, but is the home of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And there's also an arena right nearby that hosts, um, you know, minor league hockey and arena football and concerts. So it's very much part of uh, Jacksonville stadium district, so to speak. And the jumbo shrimp, um, you know, we've talked about them a lot on this podcast, do some of the, the most fun promos in all of minor league baseball and the jumbo shrimp shrimp branding is really, uh, you know, something that pops and has a lot of irreverent spirit to it. So it is really one of, uh, the better destinations in all of minor league baseball for sure. So read all about it. Daytona beach, Jackie Robinson ballpark, Jacksonville, jumbo shrimp, one, two, one financial ballpark and Tyler. Yeah. As you mentioned, uh, moving all the way from Florida, all the way to the Pacific Northwest, uh, you journeyed into Spokane. Yeah, got a chance to talk uh, with the Spokane Indians, who are one of the most fascinating teams in minor league baseball. There is a, a link and the piece that I've got up, the ballpark guide for Avista Stadium, to information about their partnership with the Spokane Tribe of Indians, uh, a New York Times profile that was written about that uh, partnership last year, actually two years ago now, back in 2020, during uh, so much of the louder conversation over um, team names and native derivative identities and all that stuff. Uh, but Spokane is a, a, tri- a team that works with the tribe, works with uh, the local Air Force base, works with wildlife um, and environmental conservation efforts. Um, Um, I talked with Otto Klein, who has been with that team for so long, team president, um, who said, we strive to do things with depth here. That's kind of how he describes it to his front office. And they do so much cool stuff. I actually did not know this about Avista Stadium, but there's no video board at Avista Stadium. They will be um, putting one in, it sounds like, over the next few years. Um, due to, you know, some of the upgrades and things that are uh, part of the new player development uh, agreements with Major League Baseball franchises. Um, they're the high A affiliate of the Colorado Rockies, but uh, the the upgrades that are coming to Avista Stadium, I know, will not change much of the experience of Avista Stadium, which is one of the coolest uh, in minor league baseball. And Spokane is a very cool town, too. Spokane, I did not know this, was the smallest city to ever host a World's Fair. They hosted the World's Fair in 1974, um, which was known as Expo 74. And the grounds of that World's Fair are now the renowned Riverfront Park, which is kind of the heart and soul of Spokane um, and a place where you can go right now, ice skate, uh, you know, do all the fun wintertime activities during the summer. There's concerts. There's uh, a cable car ride that goes up over the Spokane Falls. Uh, some really cool stuff there. Spokane's 20 minutes, a half hour from Lake Coeur d'Alene in Idaho, which is one of the most shockingly beautiful places on the planet. Um, there are a lot of really cool things to do in and around Spokane. And that's a very neat organization to learn about and to, uh, and to support. Um, and so you can check that out on, uh, on MLB.com as well. Uh, and then there's Sam Dykstra, who's just been sitting quietly throughout the show. I, I'm just enjoying listening to you guys talk about these ballpark guides. I mean, it's, I haven't, I've been working on a lot of prospect based stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I don't have too much to contribute on that front, but 
I just love hearing about world's fairs. I feel Same. like that's, that's something that we've kind of like, I mean, not, I'm not going to say we should bring it back now. I mean, we have the Olympics going on right now and we can see how much of a, uh, not of a mess, but how big of a struggle it is to put on something like that right now as we still wind down from the pandemic, but world's fair just sounded awesome. I know growing up like hearing rumors about, or not rumors about them, hearing stories about them. My dad grew up on long Island. So he went to the one in Queens. He said he had family from Iowa driving in to go to the world's fair. Like, it's a great way to promote Spokane. And then it's, it's it sounds like it has lasting impacts when you yeah. have these gigantic areas of parks that you can use. I don't know. That's that's a story for a different podcast. But no, yeah. I agree. I hadn't thought of it, but um, you know, and what were world fairs about essentially, it was about, you know, progress and hope for the human race and innovation and cooperation. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, not to get all um, corny about it, but I do believe uh, now more than ever, you know, we as Americans and we as a, a world, uh, you know, could use some world's fairs to, uh, you know, to un- unite to the extent possible and celebrate achievements uh, of humanity and positive visions for the future. So you heard it here, here first. Uh, myself, Sam and Tyler are organizing the we're going to give ourselves some time. The 2026 World's Fair yeah! uh, location TBD. Uh, but this is our new vision and goal. And um, we're bringing back world's fairs. I think it sounds amazing. Um, I, I mean, if there were, you know, things in world history that I could go back to if I had a time machine, you know, the, uh, the 1939 New York World's Fair, uh, there was one in Paris, I want to say in like 1904, uh, The Devil in the White City, a fantastic book that is being turned into a movie. Uh, probably not the best World's Fair to visit based on the plot of the book, which is a lot of murder. But um, I mean, the World's Fair sounds amazing. We're going to do it. And it's going to be a lot of baseball centric stuff. We're going to have team, you know, exhibits that are all on things like JoJo's. You know, we're going to teach the world through the language of minor league baseball. Alternate food identities featuring all the global cuisines of the world. Yeah. I think it sounds incredible. Uh, we could do it with international leagues, you know, bring in the, uh, the Australian baseball league, have those folks just sling out a bunch of stuff with Vegemite on it. It's terrible. Um, but I think we're on to something here. So the 2026 world's fair started by three dudes who host a podcast about minor league baseball. I think, you know, stranger things have happened. Maybe not a lot of them. Um, ben, we also uh, are, are going to pitch an idea that we want people to get in on the conversation with uh, some of the best on-field hosts in minor league baseball become sort of synonymous with their teams. Um, and you had a, a thought in a conversation in social media the other day. Uh, there's a flair and a look to those two. And people should explain who they like best from the, from the most packaged put together on-field MCs and get into that conversation. Tell us about that. Yeah, this is one of those things that happened on Twitter that, uh, you know, wasn't necessarily planning on it, but then there you are. Um, I think it came about because I wrote that Daytona Tortugas ballpark guide and um, their on-field MC, this is what happens. You can make, you know, put so much time into writing something and then all you hear about is what you did not do. You know, it's like, hey, it'd be nice if someone said, hey, that was a really great thing that you wrote that I learned a lot from and all that, but it's always oh, can't believe you didn't include this. And in this case, what was not included was that I did not mention that the Daytona Tortugas have allegedly the best dressed MC in all of minor league baseball, young Professor G, who on July 4th last year wore 17 different patriotic outfits in one game and has a closet full of uh, 
you know, stylish on-field outfits. I believe he's a huge fan of Tyler. You seem like you'd be no more about this. Roosevelt's, 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 R-S-V-L-T, right? Yeah. It's a great, so. it's a great clothing company. They got some notoriety a few years ago. There was a big leaguer who wore their Sandlot button-down shirt, which has like, you know, ham and hot dogs and and pf flyers and all that on the shirt somebody wore that i want to say like in spring training might have been noah Syndergaard. maybe i'm just making all this up it's a it's a very good very baseball inclusive clothing line yeah so clearly uh young professor g with daytona is in the elite of best dressed on field mcs but you know this started a twitter conversation who is the best on field mc uh if you're listening to this, you probably go to your share of minor league baseball games. You know, who is your favorite? And, uh, you know, think about how important these MCs are in terms of, you know, providing so much entertainment and it helps to have like a lot of flair and style. So in this wide ranging uh, Twitter conversation, I think the name that probably inevitably probably came up most was uh, Eric Mertens, Eric, the peanut guy of the Tri-City Dust Devils, who literally spends a few innings vending, you know, selling peanuts in addition to his on-field duties. There is a life-size bobblehead of Eric at the ballpark. You know, he's a franchise icon along, you know, on par with anyone else. He's been working for the dust devils, you know, for since the team began essentially like 20, 20 years ago. Um, Casey Catherwood with the Tacoma Rainiers, you know, uh, seemed like he is uh, up there in the conversation. So I'm thinking about ways, maybe a Twitter poll uh, to follow up on this, uh, maybe, you know, put some of the top MCs up for a vote on uh, the, their fashion style and the energy they bring to the game. And I think they'd be fun guests on a future podcast to, you know, talk to these ballpark characters who are, you know, icons in their own right. And so with that, we're going to head uh, to Greenville, South Carolina this week and hook up with the Greenville Drive. That's a conversation uh, that has some very cool community outreach elements in it uh, and one that you will not want to miss as we embark on Black History Month. And of course, the new initiative from MILB, The Nine, uh, we'll hook up with the Greenville Drive coming up next. Well, for this week's interview segment, we are going to go to Greenville, South Carolina, home of the Greenville Drive. Last week, the team announced an interesting new initiative as part of Black History Month. Uh, They are working with various community groups to celebrate the history of the Black Spinners, a Negro League team in the area. They have devised a Black Spinners logo, and you can get a Black Spinners t-shirt. Visit their website uh, to learn more about that. And they're also working to restore Mayberry Park, where the Black Spinners once played. Uh, There's a lot of history to explore here and a lot of present-day initiative going on right now in Greenville. And this is the sort of thing we're going to see a lot through minor league baseball this season. So let's get right to it with Eric Jarinko of the general manager of the Greenville Drive. Eric, thanks for being here, and let's learn all about it. I mean, honestly, it, um, you know, when, when Kurt reached out to all of the teams about the the nine initiative, that was really important to us because we've been heavily involved with the black community here in Greenville um, since our ince- inception in 2006, and it's definitely grown over the years. Um, and, and there's an interesting story to tell but about the Black Spinners. Not many people know about the team that was here in Greenville or the history here. I mean, Greenville and the upstate does have a rich baseball history. When you look at Shoeless Joe Jackson, Nolan Ryan playing with the Greenville Mets, Tommy Lasorda coming through here, Jim Rice being from this area. But 
you know, it's the the Greenville Black Spinners is kind of an untold story, and it it dates back um, to the 1920s, 1930s, and um, there there was this park in the center of of downtown Greenville called Mayberry Park that was designated for the children of the southern southern side community, which was uh, all uh, an all black neighborhood. And at some point, um, a minor league baseball owner came in and said, you know, I'd like to build a stadium here in Greenville if the land is provided. And the city kind of took half the land from Southern Side Park and gave it to the minor league team. And they built Meadowbrook Park in the middle of Mayberry Park. Um, And it started out as an Orioles affiliate, um, had some other affiliates through the years that actually burned down twice. But I mean, it was taking the land away from the black community and giving it to this new minor league team. And the Greenville black spinners played it at this new field called Meadowbrook park, but they were only allowed to play there when the minor league team was on the road. So it was usually Mondays and Tuesdays and they weren't allowed to practice on that field. So they had this dilapidated field kind of off to the side where they had their practices and things like that. And even at games, whether it was the minor league team or the black spinners games, um, the black fans had designated sections that they could only sit in and things like that. So it was a important story for us to tell and, and um, kind of give recognition during black history month to the black spinners and just working with our contacts um, at the Greenville chamber of commerce, the city of Greenville, all of our partners at Michelin um, to really pay recognition to the to the Greenville Black Spinners. That's kind of where this T-shirt was was um, designed from. Um, the Black Spinners didn't actually have a logo when they played, or their uniforms were just plain white. Um, so it kind of gave us a fresh canvas, if you will, of, of what we wanted to create, what a logo would look like. And we shared it with a lot of the, the Black community leaders before we went live with it, and they all loved it. Um, and really, again, it kind of goes back to the relationships we've built over 16 years here. We do a annual HBCU event here at the ballpark. And what makes that successful is the leaders on the other side of the table with us. To, because, again, you, I, I can't go out and try to create an HBCU event on my own or with our owner. Because, again, we're you know just a couple of white guys. We need, you know, we need the the black community leaders to have buy-in and support us. So really what we've done over the years with that event is it's part of a year long community calendar here in Greenville. Um, The drive is one of the key sponsors on the MLK dream weekend here in Greenville with the rainbow push coalition. We're one of the founding sponsors with Clemson university's men of color summit in March we are one of the sponsors for the Mayor's Mask Ball, which benefits the United Negro College Fund um, in April. So again, you can kind of put all of this in one year-long community calendar. Um, and that's that's what's really made us successful over the years. And I think is what's made doing this Black Spinner shirt successful um, or creating this Black Spinner shirt. And it's off to a very successful start. Yeah, and uh, like you said, you had to design a logo for the Black Spinners uh, because one did not exist, and now you're selling this T-shirt, and um, you know proceeds from the sale of that T-shirt go to um, you know support local charitable causes tied in with all this. Um, but you know, myself and I'm sure Sam and Tyler, you know, in researching minor league baseball history, Negro league history, it can often be tough to find you know a lot of information. 
um, the name Black Spinners, I assume, is because Greenville is a, you know, it has a history of textile manufacturing and it ties into that. That's where the Lowell Spinners name in Massachusetts came from. But if you could talk a little bit about, um, you know, how you go about learning this kind of history, because often it's not something I imagine that is uh, particularly easy to find. Yeah, it's been a really collaborative effort. I mean, the, the proceeds of the shirt go back to the Unity Park project that is underway in Greenville and pieces of that project. It's kind of, it's, it's this unbelievable um, just public park that's been under construction for the last three years. And most of the unveiling is going to be this summer. Um, part of it is the restoration of, of Mayberry Field and Mayberry Park that our owner, uh, Craig Brown, and his wife, Vicki, have contrib contributed heavily to. Um, but again, as you said, it's, it was really hard to find information on the Greenville Black Spinners. Um, luckily, through the agencies that are leading the project and telling the story, we were able to get hooked up with a local Greenville historian uh, and, and baseball historian, Mike Chavarro, who's also one of our season ticket holders. And he actually has a book coming out um, in March called The Voices of Meadowbrook Park. That's the name of the ballpark that the minor league teams played at. And he had, he had done research over the last three or four years, um, researching all the teams that had played over the years at Meadowbrook Park and Mayberry Field. And I was able to connect with him. And that's where we really got a lot of the pictures of the black spinners, a lot of the information on the black spinners. Um, some of the black high schools use that field as well. And some of those folks are still living. So we're going to honor them at a game here this summer as well. Um, so luckily we were able to get connected with Mike and he was able to provide us all that information. And while his book doesn't release till March or April, he let us use some of the excerpts from the chapter focusing on the black spinners and Sterling high school on our website to kind of tell the story as we unveiled the t-shirt. Yeah. And so much of minor league promotions right at their base is being popular and trying to get people to a ballpark to promote a popular thing. Um, you know, we're seeing that all over the place with food items and, and Marvel being involved. This feels almost more educational in a way in, in bringing part of the history of Greenville to the people and, and letting them know about what baseball in this area is built around. How do you balance those two? Yeah. You know, I again, I think it goes back to our commitment to this community. I mean, again, we've, we've made it a point to build strong relationships with all of the community leaders here in Greenville. And I think that's where the payoff has been. And again, it's, it is such a, baseball community uh, like I said everyone knows the stories of Shoeless Joe Jackson and Jim Rice and Tommy Lasorda and it's how do we tell that additional story here with the black spinners and and even Meadowbrook Park the the baseball stadium that they kind of use and things like that I mean when I was talking with with Mike about his book and everything that went into it, I mean he reminded me that and I had no idea about this this is the 50th anniversary of the last season at Meadowbrook Park when it burned down in 1972 um there was a really good Rangers affiliate here for a couple of years and, and trying to work to get some of those guys back out here this year, because they were that last team to play there in 72. Um, you know, it, it's again, there, there's such a risk, rich baseball history that I don't think a whole lot of people know here in Greenville. And it's kind of been revitalized as part of this entire project at unity park and the restoration of Mayberry field and Meadowbrook park. 
Eric, you mentioned the nine uh, when we got started, which of course is minor league baseball's um, outreach effort initiative in uh, in 2022 and beyond to honor the history of of not only black baseball, but of, of course of uh, you know the impact that black players have had in the history of minor league baseball and all of that. How does that project, um, you know, kind of feed the uh, the momentum in a front office to do stuff like this. I mean, it's it's awesome to be doing it on your own, but to have um, the infrastructure of a minor league baseball initiative behind it kind of takes it even that next step. Tell us about working with with MILB on that and how that opens some pathways for you. That's been unbelievable. I mean, I, anytime minor league baseball, MILB sends out you know, a cool initiative like that, whether it's the COPA initiative and now the nine initiative. I mean, it's something that we love to participate in. Um, I think I inadvertently sent Kurt a text or an email letting him know of all the initiatives we're already doing in Greenville. You know, I know, I understand we don't have the, the, the built-in black population that a Durham or a Richmond or a Montgomery may have, but here are the initiatives we're already doing. And that inadvertently made us the uh, high A captain <laughs> of the nine. Uh, Kurt responded right back and he's like, this is incredible. I had no idea you guys were doing all this. Congratulations, you're now a seat at the table as the high A captain for for the nine this year, um, which again, is, is I think is an honor. I mean, there's there that's the one thing I think all of us at minor league baseball within all of our teams is, you know, we are we are more than just baseball. We are tied to our communities. Um, and we're really a community platform. That's the way we've always approached Floor Field and the Greenville Drive is any organization that we work with, we want to be an extension of their brand and their community initiatives. And the nine, I think being a part of that helps us tell that story even more as kind of the overarching umbrella of all the other initiatives we are already doing here. Um, and, I, and again, I, I think it's such a cool program to do, you know, hearing how the name came about to be named after Jackie Robinson's number uh, from his one season in the minors was really cool. I'm sure that's not something a whole lot of people knew. Uh, and again, it's just a it's a great program to be a part of. And again, I think minor league baseball is always a, a trailblazer with some of these really cool community initiatives that tie, you know, directly back to all of us. When uh, COPA came out, obviously we got a, an explosion in these awesome alternate identities. And in Greenville, uh, the Energia is the the name of your COPA team. Have you? Oh, guys- we've actually switched. We've we're a new the, one now. The original name, I should say. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the opportunities now that are open uh, with the nine are there conversations because it's not only uh, a circumstance in which the black spinners were the lone team there. I know there's a quote uh, later on in the story that you've got on your site. There was a team there called the Red Sox. Uh, there was kind of an all star team of, of black players in that region. Have you guys discussed? OK, maybe we'll do uh, some, you know, kind of faux back nights where you come up with black spinners uniforms or whatever it is and incorporate that onto the field as well. Yes, we are actually in talks on that now. Um, awesome. I guess I'm giving you guys the preview on that because we haven't officially announced anything yet. I mean, our our plans are to officially announce that, unveil any uniforms that may go along with that during the ribbon cutting for the Unity Park project, which will be later this summer, sometime mid-May. But yeah, that that, that once we started get, learning more of the history and things like that, and again, I along with the t-shirt because the black spinners didn't have a logo or a set uniform it's allowed us to kind of 
have some fun or create a unique identity for them, which I'm really excited to be able to share with everybody in a few months. And Eric, um, you know, you're also with the sale of the t-shirt and I'm sure the team getting involved in other ways, um, you know, working towards the restoration of Mayberry Park where the Black Spinners played. Um, what is the ultimate vision of that, that a restored Mayberry Park could bring to the community? Man, so we had some, it, it's on an interesting piece of land. So that's actually on a floodplain. So they're correcting that right now and everything. But, you know, and initially our plan was, as you see what Major League Baseball has done with the Little League World Series game or the Field of Dreams um, game is that we wanted to get that field restored to a place where we could do a game once a year uh, as the the Greenville Drive playing one game a year there because um, I think that'd be really cool. It's only a block and a half from Floor Field, so it's in close proximity of where we're currently located. But as we dug into that, the dimensions of Mayberry Park um, initially were really awkward. It was like 210 down the left field line and then all of a sudden like 470 to center. I mean, it was just, and because of the makeup of the land, there's no way to change those dimensions. So obviously I'm sure players would love one game a year to field with 210 down the line, but that just wasn't feasible. So now we've kind of shifted to where it's going to be a youth baseball field um, and used for tournaments and things like that. But we're also going to use it for uh, to get our players out there to do some things within the community, whether it's the RBI program or uh, the p uh, pitch hit and run con uh, things like that. And doing that at that field versus trying to trying to force it into a day at floor field where it just doesn't work for us, but instead use this really nice new restored field to kind of tell the history, but use it for these youth activities and involve our players over there. Yeah, you said players would love it, 210 down the lines. Uh, I think we can amend that to hitters would love it. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> pitchers would be furious. I would love it in slow pitch softball as well. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> um, so if people want to learn more about this, about the history of the, the Greenville Black Spinners and what the Greenville Drive is currently doing in the community to tell that story, um, you know, what are resources for them to check out? I mean, the best spot right now is our website. It's front and center, greenvilledrive.com. Um, it, like I mentioned, it's got the excerpts um, from Mike's book coming out. There's even a link on there to, to find out more about Mike's book because it's, it's pretty impressive, the research he's done of, of all of what went into Mayberry Park and, and Meadowbrook Park. But Greenville Drive is the best spot to, to learn more about the Black Spinners and, and check out the T-shirt as well. Excellent. Well, I encourage everyone, uh, you know, Negro League history fans, baseball history fans, history fans, whatever you may be, um, to check that out. And Eric Jarenko, GM, General Manager of the Greenville Drive, thanks so much for joining us on the show before the show podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys. Always, always enjoy talking to you guys and seeing you guys. There's no ghost of the miners this week, as Old Man Winter has blown down my door and I'm out looking for another one. Well, as you heard uh, our good pal and our 1930s journalist Josh Jackson say, no ghost of the miners this week because very exciting stuff. Josh and his lovely wife, Ella, and their dog, Callie, and their cat, Mickey, uh, they bought a house. They moved from uh, Portland, Maine 
to Brunswick, Maine. Josh hails from Portland originally. Uh, he and Ella and uh, the fur children moved to uh, a new place in Brunswick. He is in the process of moving today. Uh, we're recording on Thursday the 10th. Also was in the process of moving yesterday. Also will be in the process of moving tomorrow. And if it's anything like me moving uh, for like the next three and a half years, he'll be in that process as well. Uh, but pretty exciting stuff for Josh. I'm very pumped for him. And we found out today uh, he was also traded from the Detroit Pistons to the Sacramento Kings, who traded Josh Jackson and Trey Lyles to Sacramento. So as I tweeted, that's brutal. He's in the middle of moving and he gets dealt by the – I didn't even know he was on the Pistons. It's incredible. <laughs> The, the commute already was pretty bad. Now all of a sudden, you know, I, I thought the drive from Portland to the, the airport was easy enough for him to get to Pistons games, but now he's got to drive from Brunswick to Portland, then fly across the country to Sacramento. All the way to Sacramento. Not yeah. even to go to the Rivercats games. He's got to, you know, hang out with the, with the Kings. Wolf. That is, that is something. Um, but a big congratulations to Josh. Uh, we are so thrilled for him. We will have Ghost of the Miners back next week. Uh, of course, and um, so much more to come. We also are uh, very excited to roll out the idea of our first mailbag episode. Sam, let's hear it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's uh, you know something we really haven't done before. We, we occasionally will get questions from folks and we try to answer them either over tweets or over emails or however we can. But, you know, it, we're getting... Up close to spring training, minor league spring training. Um, we know you guys have a lot of questions out there about what the minor league season is going to look like this year and, you know, where are prospects going to go and what are prospects going to do this, this spring? I, I know Tyler mentioned at the opening of the show, um, you know, many camps are existing in some places right now. Guys who are not on the 40 man roster will be showing up in a couple of weeks to begin minor league spring training. Um, but what else do you guys want to know about that process? I'm guarantee, even if we're saying all this now, they're still going to be tweeting about uh, is minor league opening day still on. So uh, we can pencil that in, but we would love to do a mailbag question uh, and let you guys kind of guide where we go next week. So we'll put out some posts on, on Twitter in the, the next week, calling for your questions. You can always email us at podcast or podcast at MILB.com. Um, we will hold your questions, answer them on the show next week. Um, and, and hopefully get you guys geared up for the season to come because, you know, there's so much going on right now between all the promotional calendars being released uh, slowly but surely um, between some of the identities we've seen come out between, you know, prospect lists that are, are starting to come out. And as we're really digging into them on the MLB pipeline side, um, we're getting to know more and more about these guys and getting excited for 2022. Uh, hopefully you guys are too. And we can address all of that in the mailbag next week. Yeah. And I'd say, um, Maybe not that no question is off limits, but, you know, feel free to be creative. Uh, yeah. Listen to this podcast for a while. Um, you've heard us talk about a lot of topics and have a lot of opinions. And, um, you know, it's fun to have different discussions. So uh, anything tied into the world of minor league baseball or maybe even some that aren't like, Sam, what kind of pajama pants are you wearing? Are they Roosevelt's? I, I will not actually be answering any questions about what are you wearing? I just want that to be clear. <laughs> uh, I do have that Roosevelt shirt, though. I thought about running and getting it. I do have that same ah, I do. I do very much love that shirt. Yeah. Um, it's a it perfect is, beach shirt. It is super cool. It's a great. It's, it's one of those you know, designs that I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm glad somebody thought of this and made this. because this. Is and cool. somebody always gets it, even if they don't know what Roosevelt's is. Even right. Like, like they immediately see, you know, ham the beast, on the thing. Ham, right. a hot dog. Right. 
yeah um it is at least people of our generation i don't know i don't know if the youths are watching the sandlot i hope they are i hope so too i saw uh a tweet yesterday from uh our mlb.com buddy i believe it was matt monahan who tweeted uh he had just rewatched it and said there is no better baseball movie out there than the sandlot and i tend to agree I'm, I'm wow. Sam gave a very perplexed face. No, I'm, I think it's, it's, I think it's as good as any baseball movie. It's maybe it's, it's partially solid. because of nostalgia. Obviously, it came out when I was like nine. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's nostalgic for us that's playing on nostalgia for another generation, right? True, which is also weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's true. It's it, it, it is a solid doubles of a movie. Like, I, I always enjoy watching it. It's a top uh, it's, tier, like, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely in the conversation. My, my perplexed look was not that's wrong. Uh, it was, I'm trying to think of another one that would definitely beat it. And that okay. isn't part of a broader discussion of like, well, no, I don't really like that movie. It's, there's so much wrong with it. Whatever. These are things you can submit for our mailbag yes. episode. If you yeah. want us to rank our tiers of baseball movies, uh, we can have like the Sandlot tier and uh, like a middle of the road. Let's go with like the natural tier. The natural's fine. Oh. It's good. And then the bottom will be Fever Pitch and Summer Catch. Yeah, we're also tiers of baseball okay. movies, the ones that make you cry. That make most. you cry, Field of Dreams. Yeah, Field, Field of Dreams. Bang, bang the drum slowly. Yeah. Uh, is, uh, I believe that's what it's called. I've never seen the movie, but, um, you know, that's a real ter- tearjerker. Pride of I the mean, Yankees, big tearjerker. Yeah, Pride of the Yankees. I'm just going to go on record to say that I'm not a big fan of the genre of baseball movie. I've devoted so much of my life to baseball, but there's no baseball movie that stands like up in the pantheon for me. I, I'm generally kind of bored by them. Interesting. Huh. We should save this all for next week or like sure. another time. Cause like I have now so have many to, thoughts about uh, what uh, everybody's saying here. Now yeah, we, have to stage we don't even a need to do a mailbag. We just right. pretend the question. We pretend what people might ask us and then just riff. I was going to say, now we have to submit a fake question about movies. If we don't get one, uh, this one comes from Josh J in Brunswick, <laughs> Maine. <laughs> All right, you guys, uh, we are going to wrap up this week's episode of the show before the show. Get in touch. Podcast at MILB.com. You can tweet at us as well, uh, at MILB for the main account. Uh, But if you want to make sure we see it, uh, at Ben's Biz, at Sam Dykstra, MILB, uh, at Tyler Mon, and uh, get in touch. Let us know all of your questions uh, for next week's mailbag episode on the player development process spring training prospects and where they're headed uh all of that type of stuff for 2022 and beyond and yeah as ben said virtually nothing is off limits although sam will not be telling us about what he's wearing whatever uh so that'll be it we're wrapping up this episode of the show before the show and uh excited to uh to get all your questions and we'll have some fun with it we'll talk to you next week